Welcome into another episode of Cyberly Hits the Road. I'm your host, Blythe Burnley, and today I am joined by James McQuiggan. Is that yes. how you say the last name? Yep. Yes. Way to go. And he is a cybersecurity expert, and he is going to help us understand the cybersecurity landscape and how businesses can be better prepared for the growing, I guess, conflict and, and issues that are arising from an industry that is adapting more technology and then it's finding itself in precarious situations. I think the Colonial Pipeline is one of those instances where a lot of industrial types um, or industrial type shows have found themselves uh, getting a little bit of an eye opening into how their infrastructure, how their tech infrastructure can be compromised. So James, yep. welcome into Cyberly. Thank you so much for joining us here. We're at, at PodFest yep. in Orlando, Florida, and I was able to snag James over <laughs> for a quick interview to, to give us a lowdown on cybersecurity. Sure. So so give us a little bit of a background on, on how you came to work in cybersecurity. Well, I, as a good friend, always likes to say, I took a wrong turn. Yeah. No, seriously, I've been in cybersecurity now about 20 years. I started out in IT. Nobody ever really, nowadays you're starting to see it, but pretty well anyone you talk with in cybersecurity, how did they get into it? Well, they just kind of fell into it or they got dragged into it. Uh, for me, it was kind of the, the same thing where I was working in an IT role and was doing network security and uh, working with applications and systems. And our corporate security officer said, you know, you should study for the CISSP. And I was like, the CI what? Yeah, we're, and it was question. it was the industry standard of cybersecurity certification. So the certified information system security professional studied for that back in 2008 and uh, earned that achievement and then got working in cybersecurity. So 14 years dedicated in cybersecurity, but uh, off and on, pretty well. Cybersecurity has always been something that's been of interest, physical security, cybersecurity, and uh, now getting to work in it and uh, working as a security awareness advocate for Know Before, which means I get to go around and I talk to people about cybersecurity. I even teach it. I teach, I'm a professor at a, uh, Valencia College here in Orlando, and I teach a security course uh, for them as a part-time faculty member. So it's talking cybersecurity all the time. So when you say I work in cybersecurity, what does that, I guess, typical day look like for you? Typical day? There isn't a typical day, which is <laughs> one of the things I love about this job. Every day there's always something different. Uh, whether I'm presenting to an organization about cyber hygiene, whether I'm talking to people about ransomware, talking about ways they need to uh, strengthen up their security awareness programs, developing a security culture, you know, go and then everything from researching and keeping up to date on the latest cybersecurity trends, the latest different attacks that are going on, creating presentations and, and uh, looking at ways that organizations can increase their resiliency. And now when you say uh, cybersecurity awareness, what does that look like from a company perspective? So with cybersecurity awareness, when we look at all the different attacks that are happening to organizations, we look at ransomware, colonial pipeline, 80 plus percent, 85 percent of the attacks that happened last year, and this just came out in the Verizon data breach investigation report, a big report comes out every year. And when, they, when you look at that report, 85% of the attacks were as a result of a human being. Whether it was somebody clicking on a phishing email, whether it was somebody misconfigured a server or uploaded data into the cloud for production testing, whatever it may be. But 85% of the attacks were as a result of a human error. So security awareness is about getting people aware of cybersecurity because a lot of us 
have been dragged into it. We are the digital immigrants coming when it comes to technology. We have our children today, at least I know my, my two daughters have grown up with technology, now have the iPhones and, and, and all that other technology. A lot of us have, you know, we were, we were born and it wasn't around and we've, we've had to learn how to use it. Unfortunately, we've learned the bad habits. And so, you know, when we get an email and it's, it's an invoice coming from a vendor of ours, we're like, oh, it's a, ven- it's a vendor invoice. Okay, I'll click on the link and I'll open it up. You don't go through a check to go, okay, is this really coming from that vendor? How do I really know that it's come from that Acme vendor and it's not some cyber criminal sending in a malicious PDF file for them to try and gain access into our work environment? And so through phishing attacks, social engineering, cyber criminals are figuring out more and more ways to get into organization, bypassing the technology and getting through the human way to gain access into the network's infrastructure and the data. So it's not necessarily uh, tech-focused right now where somebody is behind a computer trying to actively hack into your system. It's more they're just targeting co- uh, employees that would just fall for it. Yeah, when you start looking at the different cyber criminal groups, the nation states, they operate like a business. You know, as, as you have your business and your, your, your listeners have their organizations that they work for, they all have business models and processes. The cyber criminals have the same thing. They have those first level technicians that are going through and sending out the emails or figuring out ways to gain access into an environment. When they get into it, then you have your second level techs that'll come in and they'll do a couple things to try and gain access into the domain, uh, domain controllers, Active Directory, getting into the heart of the, the network and the systems. And if they run into a brick wall, well then there's third level techs that can come in and they'll try some things. It's a whole business model. And then they'll go through their processes of gaining access. And once they're in, then another team comes in and starts looking at how do we exfiltrate that data. Mm. And then finally, a lot of the time, uh, we see with ransomware, the last step in that whole process is once they've stolen all your data, then they hit you with ransomware, and that's when you know you've been you've been hit. The sad part is a lot of people don't realize that they've been the cyber criminals have been in there for 80, 90, 200 days. And why why do they wait so long to let you know? Is it just them collecting all of the data that you know is the company's resources? And what kind of data are they looking for? So anything and anything they can. Cyber criminals are in it to do one thing and one thing only make money. Mm. And by making money, they'll do it a variety of ways. One, they're gonna steal that data and sell it off on the dark web, on the black market. Because the ID, social security numbers, driver's license number, identifying, uh, identification numbers, like credit cards, that is information they can sell. $25, $10 a pop. And when they're stealing thousands and millions of records, that adds up. Ransomware is kind of the big flashy one where they'll get into your system, they'll exfiltrate your data, and they'll be doing multiple levels of extortion. The first level is gonna be, all right, we've made all your data unavailable. You want the decryption key to do it, that's gonna cost you, and a lot of the time cyber criminals go through and they do their reconnaissance. They go through and they'll look at the company and say, wow, they made 
$5 billion last year. Okay, we're gonna hit them up for 500 million or 50 million. They're gonna look at a percentage of your profit that you've made as an organization and they're gonna want a part of it because you haven't spent the money to properly secure your organization. You might have the firewall and think, okay, we're good to go. Or you might have an IT and a security team, but if you're not educating all your users because your users, if they have an email account, they have a key to the front door to your organization. And I think that's what happens a lot of times that folks aren't aware about is that all your users in your organization have that key and they can let in that cyber criminal. And so they'll extort you for getting that data back. And the encryption process is very, very quick. So if you think about it, and I do this as a demonstration with my students, I have a virtual machine that I share with them and we encrypt it uh, as part of the lesson. And we'll go through and I have about 50 gigabytes worth of data and I launch the encryption program and it takes up anywhere from 10 seconds to a minute to encrypt about 50 gigabytes worth of data. So you think about that on a, a bigger scale with, your, with organizations where you've got terabytes of data, it's only gonna take a matter of seconds to minutes mm. for all your data to get encrypted. And once it starts, it's very difficult to stop uh, unless you can catch it in process and, and depending on how many servers and all your data. So that's the first part. The second part then is they're gonna extort your users, your, your employees, your customers, your clients. They're gonna go after them and go, hey, we got all this information from Acme organization and we now have like medical organizations. We now have your patient information. Wow. We have your social security number. We have your x-ray information. And um, if you wanna give us $500, we'll delete it for you. So they'll go to those links because again, it's all about making money for them and they, they're gonna do it any way they can, whether it's from the organization, whether it's from the doctors, patients, customers, whatever, or even the employees. They'll go after the employees saying, hey, we got your social security number, your address, we know you live, give us $300 and we'll delete the information. How can you actually trust them that they're gonna do what they say and, and release you from the ransom? Right. And, and how often, I guess, are businesses and maybe people in general paying right. to just get rid of the problem, but does the problem actually go away? Exactly, and that is always one of the big concerns. As I mentioned earlier, I talked about they have business models. They're in a business to make money. If, like, let's say for an example, uh, an organization that uh, provides delivery trucks. If I were to take the money from a, a customer and not deliver the trucks, how long am I gonna stay in business? Not very long. Same thing with the cyber criminals. If they know that if they don't turn over the decryption key when somebody pays, then their threat isn't valid. People know that, well, just because I'm gonna give you the money, I'm not gonna get the key, well then I'm not gonna pay you. It's in their best interest to turn over a key. The cyber criminals are constantly changing the encryption programs, so the key is different for everybody. And so it's in their best interest to make sure that they live up to their promise of de either deleting the data or turning over the decryption key. Otherwise, the word will spread quickly. They'll be like, oh yeah, they, it's not no point in paying them because you're not going to get the key. No, you'll get the key. 97% of the time, the information gets turned back over or the key gets turned back over to So they're almost the like honest criminals. Yeah, yeah. It's a business model. They got to get paid. They want to make money. So yeah, it's like, okay, you paid us. Okay. The lesson has been learned by the organization because we caught you, we got into your organization and we were able to steal your data. You're not securing it properly. You're not taking the right steps to protect your organization 
in getting your users educated. And a lot of the time, the cyber criminals come back and go, this is what you need to fix. Goodness gracious. So they're almost acting like as consultants after they steal all of your information. And then so they make the money and then they advise you on how to prevent this from happening in the future. Why would they advise you on why would they get rid of, I guess, a revenue stream? What would stop them from advising you and then coming back two years later and saying, hey, we got you again. Time to pay up. Because that's it. A lot of the times, um, even consultants, I have a friend of mine who's been a consultant for years. He would go around every year. He'd go back and he'd be like, hey, have you fixed this, this, and this? Oh, no, we haven't got the funding for that yet. Oh, no, it it hasn't been a big concern for us. Or we figured that wasn't going to be a problem. And, he, and he's like, okay, well, this is your organization. I'm telling you what's wrong with it and what you need to fix. If you don't want to fix it, that's the risk you're willing to take. But if you get hit, you know, there's an I told you so in there. But... The cyber criminals are doing the same thing. They're letting them know that says, hey, you need to do this, this, and this. They know they're not going to fix it. And so when you talk about, uh, you know, some of these different organizations and they're running as an operation, they're running right. as a business, is this, I imagine it's a growing industry. Is this a, a growing industry in, in everywhere globally or is it mainly like concentrated in like a, maybe like a Russia, China, Eastern Europe? So the nation state uh, organizations that are out there, like the, the ones that we always hear about in the news, China, Russia, the the Philippines, North Korea. Yeah, those are the nation states that we see. But then we also see criminal organizations, kind of, you think of like the mob of years ago, back in the 50s, the Al Capones. Well, there are cyber criminal groups that are very well organized, very well funded, and mainly because of the ransomware attacks. You know, when they, when they hit organizations, they're hitting them up from hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars. And though that millions of dollars just funds them. And when you have so many people paying all the time, uh, they're just raking in the money and uh, keeps them funded. So how, I guess as a business, I've briefly learned about, you know, cybersecurity insurance, and that is also a growing segment of the industry. Is that actually worth it to get cybersecurity insurance? I mean, in your professional opinion. Um, Cybersecurity insurance up until like a year or two ago was booming. We were seeing a lot of organizations buying cyber insurance. Uh, it's been around since the early 2000s. Um, when I, prior to know before, I worked for a, a little German company called Siemens. And even there, we were being approached by our customers wanting us to get cyber insurance. And cyber insurance is good to help protect your organization in the event that you suffer some type of breach or major incident where you need funds really quick. You know, if you have a car accident, that's how your car insurance is going to help pay for the repair of your car. If you get hit in a data breach, that insurance is going to either help you pay the recovery costs, bringing in a third-party company to do forensic analysis. If you get hit with ransomware, that might help pay, cover the, the cost of the ransomware itself. However, the problem is so many companies have been buying up the insurance and then getting hit. The cyber insurance companies were running out of money and going wow. running into a lot of problems. It's now gotten to a point where the premiums have skyrocketed. You know, it used to be you could get a multi-million dollar or maybe billion um, cyber insurance policy. Now you're lucky if you're getting a 500000 or a million dollar insurance policy. Because so many organizations got hit, the premiums have gone up so much higher, 120, 150, 200% in premiums 
for a $500,000 or a million dollar uh, insurance. Uh, because so many organizations were getting hit, what cyber insurance is doing now is they're coming in with their red teams. They're coming in with their teams of people to assess your cybersecurity um, readiness, so to speak. They want to see that you've got programs in place, processes. They want to make sure that if you're doing any type of VPNs in your organizations or logging in, you're doing multi-factor authentication. And a lot of the time with MFA is people think that that's the silver bullet. You know, used to be, hey, we got a firewall, we're protected. That was the silver bullet. It's going to take a, a machine gun of silver bullets to effectively protect your organization. It's not gonna be one thing you have to do. It's like layers. It's like an onion. It's gonna take layers. You're gonna to need to have education for your users. You're going to have to have the technology and you're going to have to have the processes. Mm. Multi-factor authentication comes in a lot. Zero trust is another, zero trust architecture where you're validating all the different devices and users coming into the network is crucial. Cyber insurance is just another one of those layers that you need to properly reduce the risk within your organization and effectively secure it. You, said, you mentioned that it was it's almost like an onion where you're just peeling back the layers and you're right. probably crying each time. Probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Each one of these prongs right. on this system. And so when you when you talk about these these different attacks, uh, what does that look like, I guess, from like a, a war room perspective? So your, your company is under attack. What do you do as, what is that first step that you should do? Your, first of all, it's going to come down to your incident response playbook. You want to have a playbook kind of like in football. You got a playbook. All your plays of everything you're going to do. The the offense is lining up or the defense, their defense is lined up one way. Okay, we're going to call an audible and we're going to shift. You need to have a playbook within your organization for your incident response. And you're going to have either a team of people that are going to run that playbook or it's going to be your IT person or your head of IT. And it's basically a breakdown of what needs to be done. If you get hit with ransomware, okay, we got to disconnect the internet. We got to remove the opportunity for the cyber criminals to get back in. We then got to start restoring all of our systems. If you have a a data breach and data gets leaked out, well, now you got to get your legal team involved, your public relations, your communication teams involved. They all have to come together. And so you have to have all these playbooks put together so that you know what needs to be done. You don't want to be thinking at the time of the incident, okay, Shoot, we just got we got hit with ransomware. Now what do we do? That is not the time to be figuring that out. If it is, then you're going to go out of business. Mm. Especially if you're a small or medium business. You want to have you want to be proactive and sit down with your IT, your MSP, your your managed service provider, your IT teams, your infosec teams and figure out what is our game plan because if we get hit, what's our first step? And usually that first step is all right, let's get everybody in here what we need to do. You're going to be looking at analyzing data. There might be teams of people you might be calling. You might have a third-party company that's going to come in and do the forensic analysis. You might be calling the FBI because that's what the FBI is there for, to be able to help businesses recover from those cyber attacks. You know, it's going to be, you know, what level do we call the CEO at 3 o'clock in the morning? Those are the questions that you've got to go through and be able to answer as an organization when it comes to those attacks. So it's, it's, the, it's the scout's motto. You got to be prepared. Be prepared. And so how do you, I guess, know the level of severity that you need to contact the CEO in the middle of the night, the FBI? Is is it 
or really any cybersecurity attack that or, or, or attack that you're experiencing, or is it you know varying levels that you need to be right. concerned with? It depends, which is always our favorite answer in, in cyber <laughs> marketing it, too. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> But it depends on the severity of the attack. Did you have one machine that got hit with ransomware? Okay, we don't need to call the CEO. Do we have our entire server, all of our servers been hit? Okay, are we now, a lot of it when the CEO gets involved is what's the impact to the business? And you're, as part of that incident response plan, you're gonna go through and do a business, a business analysis, a business impact, a BIA, business impact analysis. And you're gonna go through and do that. You're gonna work with your business. You're going to identify the assets in your organization that are most important that you have to protect. When you think about certain organizations, let's say a, a particular cola company out of Atlanta, you know, what's important to them? It's their formula. If you think of a fast food chicken um, restaurant, it's those 11 herbs and spices. You know, that's what they've got to protect. So within your organization, you need to be able to figure out what's critical. If we lose this, are we going to go out of business? And when you discover those, that's what you have to be able to protect. And that's where the layers come in, where you have to be able to protect that those assets, that data, that equipment. Because if those go down and you can't do your business, my economics professor told me when I was in college, if you can't do anything for three days in your business, you go out of business. And so that's what you have to be able to go through and figure out what's the most important thing I have to protect, protect it, and control the access of who gets to that, making sure that only the authorized people can. Because if a cyber criminal gets in into the accounting, somebody in accounting, well, that accounting person shouldn't have access to all the R&D materials in your organization or shouldn't have access to the HR systems. And so you want to be able to make sure that you're restricting access for the necessary people. So HR, look at HR systems. Finance, look at finance systems. Your IT people only look at IT systems. And even then, you still want to be able to control their access as well. And so uh, when I used to work at a 3PL and I would work in the office and I was in charge of the marketing, they would set me up on my own IP address because right. I needed to have access to different social media in order to post yep. and, and on behalf of the company. Is that almost a better setup for companies to have individual IP? Because I almost think, you know, from the work from home example, right. everybody's working from home and is that a security nightmare? But it almost sounds like it might be better for security because they all have individual IPs. Am I thinking about that wrong or? or so you're on the right, you're on a good track. When they put you, everybody has their own IP address inside of an organization. It's how everybody gets designated. Think of it like a street address. Working from home for security people, ironically, is a nightmare. Mm. When everybody is in the office building and they're connected to the corporate network in the building, it's a lot easier to manage. When you've got people from working from home, what you want to have is some sort of a VPN or secure connection back to the organization. Now, a lot of organizations are working with cloud environments, your email, your sales systems, your marketing um, platforms. You know, though a lot of those are now in the cloud. Um, I know organizations that have no servers on, prem on their prem premises because everything is all cloud-based. Mm. So when you're working with everything cloud-based, you can have all your users work remotely because you have to secure their machine to make sure they don't get impacted. So security awareness training, making sure you've got what's called EDR, endpoint detection and response systems. You're gonna have that all centrally managed. 
But essentially, you've got people not working in the office, so it's a lot harder to collaborate and communicate with them. So when you are working remotely, you're relying on a lot more, you're relying on users to be a lot more educated and aware of the security dangers that are out there. So if they do see a phishing email that comes in or something that looks suspicious, they know how to report it, it goes into their IT team, and then they can take the necessary actions to protect it. And so from, I guess, from that lens, it, it almost, it sounds like a nightmare <laughs> for an, an added security, yeah. added, you know, cost and time and energy. Right. I guess, what does a, a, a modern security team look like within an organization? Is it, it should, you know, small businesses be having, you know, somebody that they should contact, you know, or on call for different security uh, incidences? Or is it, you know, more of like a medium to larger size business problem that you should start thinking about these things? Everybody wants to be thinking about mm -hmm. cybersecurity because whether you're a small dentist's office, doctor's office, whether you're a small manufacturing, whether you're, you're a third party provider, you have customers, you have services you're providing. And if a, if a cyber criminal gets into your organization through a phishing attack or they gain in because you've got an unpatched server connected to the internet, um, cyber criminals will leverage whatever they can to be able to make that money. And they don't care if, if you, you make a million dollars a year or a billion dollars a year. For them, you're an opportunity to be able to make money. A lot of the times people think, oh, I'm small potatoes, I, I got a small business, they're not gonna impact me. That's probably true, but are you willing to risk the, op, the, the, the chance that a cyber criminal could get into your organization? And if they did, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what are they going to steal? And if you think, because I think years ago, people would be like, oh, I don't care if a criminal gets into my computer, you know, all I got are my pictures. Well, the problem is, is they get into your computer, um, they're gonna use your trusted connections. You have friends and family, and they're gonna use those trusted connections to get uh, your friends and family to click on links. Mm. Because one of the common ones is, especially in Facebook that we see, you'll get a, a message from a friend that says, hey, I think I saw you in this video. And you're like, you saw me in a video? What, I don't remember a video. And you click on the link and it's a malware. Okay, so when we're talking about from the small business lens, and even like I have, I technically have a small business. Sure. How should I, you know, the solopreneurs out there, the, the entrepreneurs that are just getting their business started, what realistically, like from a budget perspective, from a time perspective, should you be investing into, you know, controlling or having a cybersecurity plan? Right. If you're relying completely on the cloud, you're using third-party services, you know, whether it's the Salesforce's, HubSpot's, whatever it may be. But if you're using third-party services, they're going to have security programs in place, especially the big ones. But you as an entrepreneur, it's probably going to be you and one or two other people. So whatever you're, wherever you're storing your data, you want to make sure that's secure and protected. You want to make sure you're using a large uh, cloud provider like the Googles, like the Microsofts. They have security packages within their workspace, their environments. You want to make sure you're utilizing those. Pay the money now, because in the event that you were to have your email breached, somebody sends you a phishing email and your computer gets hit, and they steal whatever it is that you're working on, whatever it is that is your uh, crown jewels, we'll say, if they're able to steal that and then run off with that or share it to the world, well, now you're, you're effectively, you're going to be out of business. So you want to protect your email, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that you have an understanding that you go, go through and be able to spot any phishing emails. And you're probably getting dozens, hundreds of emails a day. 
but anytime I get an email, there's always three questions I ask myself. Am I expecting the email? Do I know the person sending it? And are they asking me to do something in a hurried manner or with some sense of urgency? If I'm getting a weird feeling about any of those responses, usually if I'm answering yes to any of those, then I'm going to take an extra moment to verify who's sending it to me. One of the things in your email, you can go up and you can click on, because you'll see somebody's name, you know, John Smith or Jane Doe. And you can click on that and you can see the email address. And so if it's an email address you recognize, okay, well then you know the person. If it's something where you don't know the person, okay, well, what is it they're asking you to do? And a lot of the times, I talked about earlier, ransomware was kind of the big flashy, hey, we got you. The silent killer that's out there, and this one is a 35 billion dollar enterprise is what we call CEO fraud or business email compromise. And this is where the cyber criminals get into your email and they sit there and they watch your email that you get because they're able to monitor it. And what they're doing is they're looking for invoices. One attack that they do is they're looking for invoices that are coming in. And let's say you get an email that comes in from acmecorporation.com. They will go out and create an email address uh, a website, but they will transpose some of the char- some of the characters inside of the word corporation. So they could do Acme Corporation. They could switch the R and the P. Oh, because wow. the way our brains read, we read like left to right, but we only read the beginning and the end, and our brain automatically fills in the rest. Automatically. Unless you're actually going through and checking to make sure that the website is proper, that's what the cyber criminals are, are relying on. That you're not, you're just scanning it and you're like, oh, okay, it's Jane at Acme Corporation, okay. But you miss that the spelling is wrong because the cyber criminals have noticed this invoice. And then they'll send that email to you that says, hey, we just sent you an invoice for $100,000 or whatever. We need you to, uh, we wanted to let you know we changed our account information. Here's the new account information to send the money to us. So the person will go, oh, okay, all right. So you change the account, you send the money off. 30 days later, you get an email from the real Jane that goes, hey, we sent you an invoice, we never got paid. And then you go, no, I got it, it's right here. And they'll go, that's not our email address. And you're at $100,000 and it's gone. Wow. Um, and by that point, 30, 60, 90 days out, yeah, usually when the cyber criminal gets that money, they're moving it between either out to crypto exchange, cryptocurrency exchanges and they're spreading it out that way. And then they have money mules that'll actually go get the money and then pick it up physically, converted it to cash, and then go deposit in other banks and move it around. So yeah, 30, 60, 90 days after the bank, it's gone. I was reading um, an article about, you know, sort of AI and how, you know, artificial intelligence is taking over and, you know, sort of some of the dangers beside it. And and one of those instances that they gave is that they're coming up with, you know, fake videos, deep fakes and uh, things like that. But they're... They put it on the Guardian website, but the 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 eye of the Guardian name was in a different language. It was in like Latin yes, or something. The homographs. The homographs. Yes. And so I thought yeah. that that was insane. I would have never because it was built to look exactly like the Guardian website, except for that one little character change. And it's you have to be so diligent now. And I feel like is there is there any kind of recourse for 
you know, outside of just being really super diligent, is there any kind of recourse from a lot of these different companies? I was reading that, you know, 85% of our uh, cybersecurity policy or, or when we know about hacks that are happening is because of private companies that are letting us know. Not the government, the private companies are, are controlling right. a lot of that information or are really at the front lines of that. Is that kind of, I guess, sort of a, a safe area for us to be in where private corporations are controlling, you know, whether we know if we're getting hacked or not and ransomware? And what, what does that say, I guess, about the global, I guess, perspective around cybersecurity? So when you look at those third-party organizations that are out there, they are monitoring the network traffic. And one of the services they provide or one of the things that they do is monitoring and looking at that traffic. And if they do see something really suspicious, they'll come to you to help you. Um, they'll look at the money later on. The, their goal is they want to be able to help the organizations that are out there. The government also does the same thing as well. We've been seeing a lot more with CISA, the Critical Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, they are, they're the one, also ones that are available that can come in and help you if you've been had a breach. They can come in and do the analysis work. They're doing it and they're going to be able to report on it as well later on. But things like um, there are those organizations out there you can bring in. You have CISA, you have the FBI. So the government is out there that can help you. A lot of the times people just don't realize it or don't want to turn to the government. Feel, and the other aspect is, is sometimes people feel that if, if they're a publicly traded company and their stockholders get word of it, then their stock's going to drop. Well, the sad thing is if, the, if, if you get hit with ransomware and you got to let your uh, customers and clients know, your stock's going to drop anyway. That's why it's it's really good. And this is all part of that risk management they take on. You want to be implementing the right due diligence and security steps. Get your employees educated. You're going to have the technology. You want to have your processes, have your playbooks. And be aware that in the event that something happens, that you can take the necessary action. The other thing is, the SEC, regarding publicly traded companies, the SEC is now making a requirement that you have to report if you suffer a data breach. And so that's now waking up a lot of organizations going, oh shoot, okay, all right, now we really got to start doing more. Because we're hearing organizations getting hit every day. Every day there's always a new organization, whether healthcare, education, whatever it may be, all the different industries, but they are getting hit. And with having to report to the SEC, a lot more folks are starting to wake up. But a lot of times the smaller organizations, they still think that, nah, we're, we're small potatoes, they won't hit us. And when they do get hit, they run that risk of going out of business. So what about, I guess, let's switch it to a little bit of prevention. You, you mentioned mm -hmm. the, the, a multi-pronged approach of you know mm -hmm. education and having that plan in place prior. Is, is that any different from, say, just one person you know, trying to set up their own due diligence versus a business? What does that kind of look like uh, comparison-wise? So a comparison between entrepreneurs and like small, medium businesses? Yeah. Okay. So you're, when you're your entrepreneur, you're your own boss, right? You're, you're doing all the work. You want to make sure that you're going through your email. Make sure that you've got an understanding of what phishing emails look like and have that social understanding. Shameless plug, know before the company I work for, we have home courses that are available that you can go through. It's on our website. But getting that education, that understanding is, is key. When you're looking at your small and medium businesses, you're probably going to rely on a managed service provider or a managed security service provider that can help you with and do all that security. It's outsourcing 
all your cybersecurity. Because when you're that small, medium business, you're 50 to a couple hundred people, you won't have that dedicated IT team, or you might have one IT person. But having a managed service provider working with them to protect you um, is going to make things a lot easier for you. Yes, you're going to have to pay for it, but if you have a third-party accountant or you have a third-party other organizations that come in and provide services for you, they're there to help your business. And that's part of that. You're, you're essentially running the risk of having your house always unlocked or leaving your car unlocked on the streets in New York. You know, New York's a busy place, and if your car's unlocked, there's, you're going to run that risk that someone's going to steal it. And so that's the same thing here. You want to make sure that you're keeping your doors locked, your people educated because of that email being the front door to your organization, your electronic front door to your organization. You want to make sure that you have your people aware and understanding of what those dangers are and be able to watch out for it and then report it if it happens. And then, so a little bit real quick with prevention. So we're talking about prevention, but what about, I guess, sort of the evolution of where this all goes? Because I feel like I, I was listening to uh, Mike Baker on the on the Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about, or maybe it was Mike Baker or somebody else, but they were talking about how there are certain systems in that certain governments are being used and they don't even need you to click on, they don't even need you to click a, you know, a link in a text message or a link in an email. Is that a future that isn't too far off for a lot of us that those kind of things are going to happen? It's already here. Hmm. We hear a lot, but when this is kind of where that due diligence comes in. A lot of the times when the human error attacks are happening, a majority of that is because they're clicking on links, opening attachments, visiting websites they're not supposed to be at or end up going into. You have attacks called fileless, fileless malware, where you don't even get a file that's downloaded. It gets automatically loaded into the memory of your computer. And so it's a lot harder to track. But there are the technology, you know, the cyber criminal comes up with a new way and then we come up with technology to stop it. And then they figure out, and so it's a cat and mouse game always that's going on to be able to keep the cyber criminals out. But we want to be able to do that due diligence, do that prevention to make sure that um, organizations can protect themselves. But the kicker is going to be the cyber criminal is always going to figure out a new way. And a lot of the time they're targeting and going after nation states, going after government agencies, because if they get in with the government, get into government systems, you know, then they can cause a lot more havoc. But, you know, the government has their issues that they got to deal with. Um, but for the entrepreneurs, the small, medium businesses, you're probably not going to see a lot of those, those type of sophisticated attacks. You're going to see the smaller level one techs that are going to try to be trying to get into your organization. And so for, from that perspective, from whether you're a small business or a large enterprise company, how often should you be looking at your due diligence and your educational programs? Is it like a quarterly basis, every six months, once a year? Yeah. I always like to, and a friend of mine came up with this analogy and I loved it and I, and I always steal it. It's kind of, if you think about you want to exercise because you want to stay healthy. How often would you exercise? You're going to do that once a day, once three times a week, once a month, once a quarter, once a year. If you're exercising once a quarter and you get to the end of the year and you're still 20 pounds overweight, you, you sit there and go, well, how come I'm not losing the weight? It's because you're not doing frequently enough. Mm. It's going to come down to the culture of your organization. How much can your culture take? What's that comfort level? What's that due diligence required? Is it something you need to do it every week? You need to go through 
and assess your organization by sending your own internal phishing emails or you have a company do that for you. Oh, so like a test run. Mm -hmm. Oh. One of the things, shameless plug with Know Before, that's what we do is we provide security awareness training, but we also can do the phishing assessments. Smart. Or the phishing, doing it with voicemail or text messages. Do those assessments on your employees to test them to make sure. And we don't look at it as an assessment or as a test. It's more of a teaching moment. Hmm. You think about when you're in grade school and you went to math class and you got those 50 math problems and you had to do math every single night. It was so that it would you would be reminded and go through and understand what you had to do every single time solving the quadratic equation or, or whatever formula. The same thing applies here with this phishing assessments. Going through and assessing your employees, making sure they can spot the latest phishing attacks that are going out there. What are the different ways that they're doing it? Are they cyber criminals looking at your organization and figuring out the org chart and then pretending to send an email from your head of marketing, your head of PR, or your CEO? Because that hierarchy is what, as humans, we pay attention to. You get an email from your CEO that says, hey, are you in the office today? You're like, oh shoot, the CEO? Okay, Yes, I'm in the office today. When in fact, that's the cyber criminal sending an email. So you have to develop those policies in your organization that says, okay, the CEO is never going to email you to ask you if you're in the office. You know, what does that culture look like in your organization? Make sure people are aware of it and then going through and doing those assessments. So if you're doing it once a week, a couple times a week, a couple times a month, and you're able to assess to see how your, what we call the fish-prone percentage, what does that look like in your organization? For us, you want to be less than 5%. So depending on how many people you have in your organization, if you have have 100 people in your organization and you have a fish-prone percentage of 5%, that means one in every 20 people, five people out of your organization are clicking on a link. So Mm. five people are opening up that door. What's that going to look like for you? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be it where... One Once a year, one person accidentally clicks on the link. Sometimes that's all a criminal needs, but you're reducing that risk. Instead of 20 people every day clicking on a link and opening on the front door, now it's one person once a year that could be opening that door, and then you could react to it and take the necessary actions to protect yourself. So due diligence, continuous education, and then yep. also protect your email mm-hmm. as yep. religiously as you can. Your oh. email, and a lot of people get hundreds of emails a day, and Especially in supply chain. Right. Hundreds and, of emails. And at the end of the day, you're a lot of times people go, okay, if I can clear out my inbox, I'm done. That's my work done for the day. <laughs> it's my mindset. Right. Um, and a lot of the time is, you know, at the end of the day, you're tired, you're trying to go through it, and then you get this email that says an invoice or benefits change, or we're changing the 401k, or and a lot of time it relates to money. You're past due on this invoice to us. Mm. Click on the link to pay and you're like, oh my God, I'm late, and you click without going through and going, okay, which company is this? Okay, I've never done business with them, forget it. Um, Or it is a company I've done business, but the email doesn't look right. The email, that email address doesn't quite look right. So you've got to go through and do those checks because that is the key to your front door. You don't just arbitrarily leave the front door open on your house. You want to make sure that you're always checking. You got a ring doorbell. You know, you're looking at your phone. Okay, nope, don't know that person, not answering the door. You know, I mean, years ago, the doorbell would be ring and you'd be like, oh, who's at the front door? And you're all excited. Now I look at my phone and go, yeah, I'm not answering the door. <laughs> I'm not talking to somebody soliciting. Mm. Or you see, oh, it's my friend. Okay. It looks like them. All right. You know, and you go answer. James, I don't know whether to thank you because now I'm going to have to go home <laughs> and do all of this my own due diligence because I feel like I, I haven't done it myself. 
So, but thank you so much for, for, for joining us. Uh, lots of valuable information, especially in supply chain and logistics where technology has sort of just really taken over and, oh, yeah. and we really have to start practicing a lot of these cybersecurity in order to prevent, you know, the, I guess, you know, catastrophe yeah. happening. And the more you do it with your email, the more, the quicker you get at it. Mm. But you do those three checks. Yeah, it's going to, it's like anything you do. You, when you put something together, it takes forever. But if you have to put it together again, if you bake a cake the first time and you've never done it, it's going to take you two hours. But then you, you do it enough times and you knock it down. You're putting that cake in the oven in 20 minutes. All right. Well, where can folks follow more of your work, check out, you know, some of your courses and educational materials, all that good stuff? So I'm on LinkedIn. You can look for me, James McQuiggan. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I have my own YouTube channel um, that I do dad jokes on. So, <laughs> you know. Uh, dad jokes are welcome here. <laughs> oh, well, you know what a computer and an air conditioner have in common, right? No, I don't. They're both useless when you open windows. <laughs> I feel like that's a perfect that's a perfect opportunity to to close out this conversation with a good dad joke. There Thank you, go. you again, James, My and, pleasure. and and uh, tune in for more episodes of Cyberly on the Road. We will be back right here next week, every Thursday at two p.m. Thank you, guys.